Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two on lung cancer screening. And I left you in 2011 with all the controversy from the NLST results about whether we were ready to do big time screening or whether it was not quite ready for prime time. Now, it's a good article by Aberly, which is a good summary article in 2013, talking about that host study again looking at outcomes, and again, recognizing the value of lung cancer screening. Uh, but again, making the point the biggest challenge was all of these false positive studies. But she did state that complications from screening were minimal. Again, we had the positive thing reduce death from lung, from lung cancer, as well as all-cause mortality, with the known potential issues we had. Now, we also uh, had articles that made the point that patients who were screened actually were happy to be screened, and that even when they had quote-unquote false positives, they still felt more comfortable they were being monitored and their care was indeed very good. So the issues really were not going to be with those patients. Now, when you look carefully at the data, again, looking at things very, very carefully, the researchers found approximately 15 to 20 percent fewer lung cancer deaths among the trial participants. Highly significant from a statistical standpoint that it was not due to chance. And the equivalence is really looking at three fewer deaths per thousand people screened in the lung cancer CT group compared to plain films. Okay, that indeed, is, and that's impressive. That's just 6.5 years of follow-up. Also, this all-course mortality, 6.7% lower, and this was felt to be due largely to the decrease in lung cancer mortality. And so when you look at these numbers, the draft recommendation uh, was to have patients screened, and they were saying perhaps 55 to 79, not 55 to 74, sticking with 30 pack years as the magic number. And again, these false positives were impressive when you look at the numbers of 96% and the vast majority would due to benign lymph nodes or granuloma. The fact that these false positive results were not cancer was confirmed non-invasively in most cases by lack of change in follow-up studies. So it really wasn't as if you were doing something bad or harmful to the patient. And so when you looked at this, when you thought about it, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommended annual screening for lung cancer in adults 55 to 80 with a 30-year pack year history of smoking. Okay, and they felt, of course, that screening should be discontinued once a person has not smoked for 15 years or if the patient had other health issues where they couldn't get surgery. There's no sense screening if you can't get uh, surgery. But again, they went from 55 to 80, so now you have a much older population. And that was their recommendation, published Annals of Internal Medicine, okay? So they were straightforward, a B recommendation. You need to do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Other organizations also stepped forward. The NCCN, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which represents 20-plus major cancer institutions, said in 2014 that screening should be based on risk. And they concluded that research has shown that screening reduces death from lung cancer among high-risk patients and that it needs to be done. They also went over age 55 as the magic number. So again, people, different organizations were moving forward. Now, what's happening in the bigger world? 
people were looking at lung cancer screening coverage. It becomes very political. Mitch McDonald says that we need to look at this very carefully, and he was very much pro you know, cancer screening. In one way or another, cancer has touched the lives of almost every American and ensuring Kentucky, he's from Kentucky, obviously, seniors have access to innovative diagnostic tools and treatment options should be a priority. Groups, look at this letter, Lung Cancer Alliance, Thoracic Surgery Association, ACR, ATS, Cancer Network. We need coverage and we need it now based on the U.S. States, United States Preventive Service Task Force Gravy recommendations. It made the opinion pages, a cancer battle we can win. Okay? Everywhere you're seeing it. And then, of course, decision memo CMS, looking at low-dose screening. What should we do? Well, when you look at their decision memo and you look very carefully at it, um, they felt that perhaps it really wasn't ready that the evidence, uh, you know, was not quite there yet, but they kept looking and perhaps going after what should indeed be done. And you could see the Annals article, the task force, again, uh, recommending it. But May 2014, the panel discussing and making the decisions, the Medicare Evidence and Coverage Advisory Committee, the MDAC, said no. They rated it on a scale of one to five, a two, which shows low to intermediate confidence. And so they said lung screening should not be done in the Medicare population. Some of the things they commented on, cost and infrastructure, who pays, additional studies, there's enough manpower. They got into different aspects of the process, important aspects nonetheless, but they were not willing to say it needs to be done. They spoke about the challenges primary care providers will need to be convinced of the efficiency and efficacy of lung cancer screening, that the benefits outweigh the risk. Among the most challenging aspects will be adoption by the community at risk. Will patients actually want to get scanned? And again, there's different socioeconomic strata which will be impacted. What needs to be done in terms of education? Okay. They just felt it wasn't ready. This article by Eberth, the current national landscape, results show the majority of lung cancer screening centers were located in the counties with the highest quartiles of lung cancer in the northeast and east-north-central states, but several high-risk states like Oklahoma, Nevada, Mississippi, and Arkansas had no centers. As guidelines are implemented, equitable Access to screening will become increasingly important, particularly in regions with high rates of lung cancer and smoking, but yet they didn't have centers, okay? Another article, again, going back to that Aberley article, screening effectiveness is enhanced by identifying the optimal risk group, recognizing these are the smokers, and relative to smokers with normal lung function, those with COPD have an up to six-fold increased risk of lung cancer, making COPD by far the greatest known risk factor for lung cancer in ever smokers. So again, should we look at smaller populations? Should we look at larger populations? How is it going to be done? Lots of arguing. It became very, very political. Lots of pushing back and forth. And guess what? February 2015, Medicare announced, CMS announces they will cover lung cancer screening, and here indeed is the memo. 
Medicare coverage for lung cancer screening and now frequently asked questions. So they ended up with 55 to 77 as the magic numbers. Remember NLST was 74. The U.S. guidelines were 80. So 80 to 74 makes 77. Put it right in the middle. Okay. So now what do we have? 55 to 74, no current signs or symptoms of lung disease, like hemoptysis, tobacco smoking history of 30-pack years, and current or former smokers who have quit within the last 15 years. But what they also now wanted to do as we go forward, how can we do it in a very logical, careful way? I think there was concern would all of a sudden people start driving around trucks and scanning everybody like it was a crazed free-for-all. So they said, first of all, the patients must be referred. It's not going to be enough for you just to walk in and say, here I am, I'm smoking. Give me a study. Physicians must provide a written order for screening to Medicare after having a lung cancer screening counseling talk and shared decision-making. Okay, now you've got to meet with the patient and speak to them. And there's four steps. Confirmation the patients meet the high-risk definition. That's easy. A discussion with the patient regarding the benefit and harms of screening, information regarding follow-up, the risks of overdiagnosis and radiation, and a warning that a false positive could occur. Again, this is somewhat challenging. Physicians have little time to spend with patients. This could take 20 minutes. Counseling on the importance of being screened each year and the impact of other possible causes of death with lung cancer. Telling the patient why it's in their best interest to get screened. And if they're still smoking, telling them that they need to stop including uh, Medicare-covered cessation services. There's not enough to say stop smoking. You have to get involved with making them enroll in a program to help them stop smoking. Now, for the radiologist side, there were requirements, though I have to admit it's not exactly overbearing. Be board certified or eligible, documented training in radiology and radiation safety, have experience in reading and interpreting CT scans for possible lung cancer, participate in CME courses, furnished lung cancer screening with a low-dose CT in a radiology imaging center that meets the radiology imaging facility eligibility, which means we have scanners that can do low-dose CT. They also want to make certain that we're really monitoring and understanding the process. So they want to have a registry. The ACR is developing a registry, which is almost finished. It's approved by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to enable providers to meet quality reporting requirements to receive Medicare CT lung cancer screening payment. And you can see it's still a work in progress. They're getting near the end. Now, what you want to do is you want to define specifically how the studies need to be done in terms of dose. You want to talk about the entire process. You want to report the study in a very systematic way, and LungRADS has been developed to allow you to do that. Now, I'll just show you a couple screenshots. That's the LungRADS thing. It looks kind of complicated, but let's target down. You can see what happens. Benign appearance of a nodule. Nodules are very low likely to becoming a clinically active cancer due to size or lack of growth. And you can see solid nodule under 6 millimeters, new under 4 millimeters. You can see the criteria. And you can see it recommends what you do. Continue screening with low-dose CT in 12 months. is less than a 1% risk of cancer. Okay, so you can see the numbers. Suspicious nodule. Okay, you can see everything is very much 
uh, creating set guidelines to in some sense make it easier and make it consistent across multiple sites, multiple states to really give the patients the best management skills. It also talks about working carefully with the clinicians. There's the argument that you need to be multi-group in order to do lung cancer screening or could a radiologist do it on their own? Well, they want to have multiple groups with the pulmonary, with the uh, people who do epidemiology and everything else. Now, if you ask me the question, how What's the cost of saving a life? This article by Black recently in New England Journal of Medicine estimated that screening for lung cancer with low-dose CT would cost 81000 per per quality of uh, yearly life gained. Um, so that's the magic number. Remember, um, there's some question about anything above 50000 in terms of life savings, but again, those are the numbers. As compared with no screening, screening with low-dose CT costs an additional $1,600 per patient, provides additional 0.03 life years per person, and 0.02 quality per person. Okay, so you can see the magic numbers. So again, uh, depending how you set up the process, will show how much money this whole process indeed saves. Giorata, computer tomography screening for lung cancer has been associated with a high frequency of false positive results because of the prevalence of indeterminate but usually benign small nodules. The acceptability of reducing false positive rates in diagnostic evaluations by increasing nodule size threshold for positive screen depends on the projected balance between benefits and risk. So the question is, can you say, well, let's not worry about four millimeters, let's not worry about six, let's worry about eight. Raising the nodule size threshold for positive screen would reduce false positives and medical resource utilization with a variable impact on screening outcomes. So the question is, should we change the numbers? At this point, nobody is doing that. There's lots of interest in how you use screening. There's lots of interest in, in the management of patients and how to perform the services. No one yet knows how much money we're going to get paid in terms of reimbursement. That will be, I'm sure, a big issue in terms of adoption. But the answer is lung cancer screening has be, been approved, and now you need to be paying attention. It will help you on CTSS because it's here. We need to figure out the best practices for doing screening programs, what's going to be the requirements, and what do we need to do. The lung rats thing, how you interpret, is important. You need to make certain people in your group are trained for reading the studies, not to underread or overread. It's probably not something you want 20 people in your group to do, maybe just a couple. How are you going to provide these services? How are we going to deal with the referring clinicians? I don't think they're going to be the ones who spend lots of time speaking to the patients. Can we speak to the patients? Is it something we have time and space to do? So there are many questions to answer. Before you open a lung cancer screening program, it's not just scanning the patient. Scanning the patient is the easiest thing. Reading the study is the easiest thing. For God's sakes, it's a low-dose non-contrast CT. But everything else from patient recruitment to making sure you're scanning the right patients to how we follow the patients, how we bring them back every year. We're responsible now for keeping records and making sure patients come back every year. You're doing basically what mammography has done for years. So there are lots of challenges. I think we'll be up for the challenges. You'll be reading articles about best practices. Chris Wald at Lehi Clinic has written some articles in JACR. So it's something you need to be paying attention to, and it's something that's going to affect all of us in practice. And with that, hopefully I've been helpful, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Catch you then. Bye.